It's estimated that almost 40% of trial master files are made up of relevant communications. However, the best practices surrounding how to manage email communications and other correspondence are hard to come by. In today's episode of the State of TMF, we'll be covering how to manage email communications properly and how to put in place a process that your team can rely on. The State of TMF is officially in session. Let's get into it. Thank you for joining us on your Wednesday. I hope everybody's getting excited for the weekend or on the downward slope to the weekend. Uh, another great episode of the State of TMF Live, um, a bi-weekly podcast for all things TMF. We'll give everybody a minute or so to join before we get jumping in. We've got a really awesome session planned today, specifically focusing on email communications. I'm sure that's why most of you are here trying to tackle some of the challenges that come from trying to figure out what to do with emails. Um, so we're going to hopefully provide some practical advice and guidance and discussion around um, how we can best manage the TMF correspondence and com uh, communications within your TMF process. All right, so I think we'll get started. Um, first of all, thank you everybody for, for joining live um, for the State of TMF this week and we've got an awesome session planned focusing on uh, TMF correspondence and communication. Um, just as a note for everybody, the State of TMF is a bi-weekly live event and podcast designed specifically to help you level up your TMF process and take your TMF strategy to the next level. Um, each of the sessions is focusing on a specific and focused um, subject within the realm of TMF, giving you the opportunity to get insights on how to improve inspection readiness, identify and scale um, optimization programs, train your team to operate at scale, and of course, understand what it takes to create a world-cast TMF team and program. Before we jump in, maybe what I'll do is uh, just a brief introduction. So for those of you that haven't met me before, my name is Oliver. Um, I'm the Director of Growth Marketing here at Montreum. Uh, a 10-year TMF uh, veteran. I don't know if I can call myself that. I'm, I'm surrounded by much more experienced veterans on the line today. Um, Donatella Ballerini, who you've met before. And then we have a new guest um, on the podcast today, which is Paul Fenton, President and CEO of Montreal. I don't know if, Paul, Donatella, you want to say a quick hi? Hi, guys. Nice to see you all. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here today. All right, perfect. So, so let's get into it. So episode two, um, we're focusing on uh, building an intuitive process for TMF correspondence. Um, the last episode we focused on was note to files. We've got lots of really, really great content and subjects that we're going to be tackling every other week. So please make sure to join. If you are unable to attend the entire session today, no worries. You can actually listen to this on YouTube, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Um, a few days after the event goes live. So let's jump into the subject today, uh, building an intuitive process for TMF correspondence. And I think the best place to start is really the regu regulation. I mean, it's often the best place to start. So Donatella, what do we know about email, email communication filing requirements from the regulatory authorities? Or maybe what don't we know? Yeah, sure, Oliver. So I think that uh, you have starting with the right approach, because definitely it's very important, in my opinion, to understand 
what are the requirements from a regulatory perspective. And definitely the first requirement, the first rule that we have to always consider is ICAGCP when it comes to you know, TMF management. And if we have to look to ICAGCP, we see that right in relevant communication, there is no the detail of emails. So we've got letters, meeting notes, notes of telephone calls. So let's say Meet, uh, emails is not in the list of relevant communication, but it's obvious that uh, email is a relevant communication. In fact, the EMA guidance on TMF management explain that you know even emails are part uh, of the story, are part of the trial master file because they tell the story. Sometimes they tell a piece of the story, and so they must be considered a relevant document uh, to reconstruct the story of the trial. So definitely. Email must be taken into consideration when it comes to trial master file, when it comes to ensure the completeness of our trial master file. So correspondence must be uh, managed somehow. And I think that we, today we are all here because uh, it's really a challenging uh, you know, aspect of our TMF process, how to manage uh, in a proper way correspondence and especially emails. Yeah. I think one thing, if I can just um, add, Donatella, that I find interesting here is when we look at um, uh, ICHE 6R2, um, which obviously is a few years old now, yeah. <clears throat> um, but but when it when it came out, there were emails, emails existed, but they don't refer to it. Here. Yeah, exactly. Letters, exactly. meeting notes, uh, or, or, or notes of telephone calls. I'm not sure how many people make telephone calls today. I agree. We used to, but... But um, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with ICHE 6 R3, uh, because obviously there's a lot of discussion around this particular section. So section 8, um, 8.1, 8.2, 8.3, mm -hmm. which lists out essential documents, but, but doesn't go really very far uh, when it comes to essential documents. And so there's, it's definitely a very big discussion point right now. What, what's gonna happen to this section? And yeah. are they gonna get more specific? And also, are they going to modernize in terms of <laughs> the, the things they're listing? Because obviously, emails should be here. Uh, and letters? Yeah, who, who sends letters anymore? I don't know. I <laughs> love letters. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think that the, in the last year, never written a letter. So. Yeah. <laughs> and what, why do you think that it wasn't included in, in sort of the initial rollout of, of R2? No. It's an interesting but point. I think, uh, I mean, uh, this is a really personal opinion that maybe, you know, sometimes uh, um, you don't think that email has a, can be used as an evidence. You know, right. when we discuss about uh, the importance of TMF, why TMF is important, because if it's not documented, it didn't happen. So the TMF is the evidence for the sponsor to demonstrate compliance. Uh, is the evidence of what happened for the inspector. And at the end, uh, even emails are an evidence. I mean, you can use emails uh, even during uh, uh, a court proceeding, so they can be a proof, yeah. <laughs> you know? So they've got a, a, a relevance uh, weight in terms of legal aspect. Yeah, I so, think that, I think the, the ICHE6R2, if I remember, basically just took what was in the original ICHE6 and, and copied and pasted basically this particular section. So they didn't review, they didn't sort of review this part, I think, when they when they brought out uh, R2. 
and so the original ICHE 6 obviously came out in a time when email was really just kind of starting out. And um, so I think that it's just a legacy thing. And yeah, there, there are actually many, many issues with this particular section of ICHE 6, not just about emails, but in general, it's very deficient. And so um, that's why I think a lot of people are trying to work out what do we do with this? Yeah, totally, totally agree. It is one of the, you know, the cases where uh, you've got the, the guidance, uh, but it's not very clear, it's ambiguous, uh, it's not so, you know, defined, so there can be interpretation. Uh, and all exactly. But I think the good thing is, is obviously there was the guidance that came out from, from EMA on trial yeah. master files, which is very specific and yeah. very yeah. email is part of the trial master file. Yeah. So that's really what we should be referring to. Totally yeah. agree. All right, perfect. What I wanted to talk about next was, you know, we talked a lot about so the, the guidance documentation, what it, when it comes to what's included and what's not included, but obviously naturally that, pre that presents some issues. It makes uh, filing communications and the process problematic. And I think from what we see, and I'd love to hear, you know, Paul and Donna tell us thoughts here, but, you know, often some of the issues that we see are study teams lack a clear understanding of what the best practices are, which hopefully we'll address today. Um, obviously, that there's no defined process for what is relevant or not relevant when it comes to uh, communications. Um, teams then, as a result, resort to filing everything. Um, which presents an even larger issue. Um, and then, you know, often we might find that communications are filed in different places at, at different levels from zone to zone. So a lack of consistency. Um, and then sometimes we, we have issues around, you know, what we should be documenting that surrounds a decision. Are we, you know, filing the communication of a decision and not the actual decision itself? So there's just, there's a lot of things that come from um, communications as a whole, it kind of becomes this sort of orb that, most people find difficult to understand. Donatella, from your perspective, what are some of the other things that you've seen as, as problematic when it comes to filing communications? Well, definitely the fact that majority of the time, you know, when you write an email, there is a, a cross-check reference about the topic contained in the email. So sometimes it becomes very challenging to understand what was the initial purpose of the email? Why, you know, the person wrote the email? What was the communication, the agreement, the decision taken in that email? Because there can be more variable and influences from other, you know, topics. So even the identification of the right artifact, the right zone can be challenging sometimes because, you know, there can be a transversional, you know, reference on the topic. So definitely that is a very challenging part because uh, you need to define a process. I think that when you listed all these uh, problem issues that we face uh, very often with emails, uh, basically they, we can combine this uh, in the biggest problem of having a process in place. Again, if you don't understand that emails are part of the story, if you don't understand that emails are relevant and can make the difference in the completeness of, of your TMF, you will never you know, develop a process to manage them properly. And so you will fail because as you said, there will be no consistency. People will get lost because you know, I can upload in a way and my colleagues in another way. Uh, so there will be no rules. Uh, that obviously, the outcome will be no consistency in the TMF and maybe lack even in the, the completeness of the story. So the definition of the process uh, is really essential to understand and to manage uh, the emails in the TMF management. 
I, I also I also agree that um, a big a big issue is the fact that an email can pertain to um, to multiple areas, uh, and and you know the way that we organize things today with the reference model is we have this relevant communications section in each of the different process zones, but sometimes it's you know it's difficult because in reality you would need to file that email maybe in several different process zones. So how do you deal with that? Um, and then I think another another big issue is emails are are obviously generated outside of the system in email programs, um, and and so from a completeness standpoint, it's difficult to know well what emails are out there. You know how do we how do we ensure that those emails actually get from those email programs into into the TMF? Uh, and so just rethinking maybe the way that we communicate in the future. Uh, is important to, to maybe try and get some of these discussions happening directly within the TMF rather than in other in other programs like email programs. And we'll talk more about that later, I think, in, in the discussion. Absolutely. So now everybody on the line is thinking to themselves, okay, I get it. I understand. I'm feeling the pain as much as everybody else is when it comes to filing communications. Um, let's see if we can focus on something that I think troubles most uh, which is defining what's not relevant when it comes to communications and what is ultimately relevant. Now, there's lots of things that probably are not relevant, but we obviously want to summarize a couple of different options. Paul, what are some of the big ticket items for you where you'd say that's a big no-no when it comes to communications? I, I really wouldn't look at filing this um, in the TMF. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's obviously the email uh, request for vacation that definitely shouldn't <laughs> a holiday pictures, you know. Um, but more importantly, I think that you know there, there can be emails that we generate just to to manage our day-to-day -day work. Um, so you know, sending a meeting invite or uh, or you know, generating an email around you know, well, we need to format this contract or which are which are kind of business process emails, but they're not they're not emails that are required to tell the story of the study. Uh, and so I think that when you're when you're thinking about an email. If it's not telling the story of the study, or if it's not if it's not an evidence, then obviously uh, shouldn't be there. And I think you know it's it's really important to try and minimise the amount of emails that go into the TMF mm -hmm. uh, because there can be so many, and that can be a finding in itself because it's just impossible to find information. Um, so so anything that's not supporting a decision making process or uh, anything that doesn't really have an, an impact on study outcomes really shouldn't be in, in the TMF. Uh, and it's a fine line. Uh, and it's something that requires a lot of training uh, with teams to make sure that they understand what, what is relevant and what isn't. Absolutely. So if we think, you know, now we have a, a good understanding of what's not relevant. And of course, this list could be very, very long. Um, but ultimately, giving you guys some guidelines on what we, you know, what are some of the rules that we should be thinking about when we when we look at relevant and not relevant communications? Obviously, there's also a defined sort of scope of what is relevant to be filed. And um, Donatello, could you sort of walk us through what you would perceive or you decide as relevant communications for when it comes to filing those in the TMF? Yes. Uh, so when uh, it comes to define what is relevant. Uh, uh, not only in terms of communication, but also in terms of, you know, documentation that has to be seen at TMF. I think that we have to always remember 
the data integrity and the patient safety, because those are the two main principles, you know, that are at the basis uh, of our trial master file management of ICGCP. So we do everything just to ensure the patient rights, the patient safety, the well-being, and the reliability, the reliability of the data at the end of the study. So obviously, if an email uh, is related to these two main parameters, obviously that will become a relevant email. Obviously, if uh, there is uh, uh, an agreement, a final decision, a key decision for the trial management contained in an email, because you know, the meeting meaning was not taken, uh, or because uh, there was no the template uh, as an outcome of an SOP. Okay, in that case, uh, the email become relevant because uh, it's going to fill the gap of a piece of the story. And so, in that, in that uh, perspective, it, it makes a lot of sense. It becomes a relevant document to be filled in. Everything that is, you know, protocol violation, trial conduct, uh, reporting, adverse event, uh, all these aspects have an impact, again, on patient safety and that integrity. So if it is, you know, captured in an email, what happened, how it was managed and the closure of uh, maybe an issue, fine, that is relevant. And always remember that, uh, uh, you know, um, we, uh, we work in a pharmaceutical company in a life science organization. Uh, we have to face uh, with SOP. Basically, everything uh, is managed by a process. And majority of the time, uh, the outcome of this process is a document. So I would say that uh, very often, uh, all these decision processes uh, are contained in a document uh, that is the outcome of an SOP. Uh, but sometimes it happens that we don't have the SOP, we don't have the template. So whenever something is not captured in an official document, like a meeting minute, uh, a form or a template uh, linked to, you know, the company SOP, that's right. In that case, you know, the email become relevant because it's going to replace uh, an official or another document. All right, perfect. Thank you for that. Donatella, can I just add something as well? Um, yeah, sure. The last point. So... Um, you know, absolutely. If the, if if an email contains an evidence, it needs to be filed. But it's yeah. Sometimes decisions can also be uh, captured elsewhere. Uh, and in fact, it's better it's better for decisions to be captured elsewhere, either potentially in a, in another system like a CTMS, um, or or in documents that exist in in the the trial master file. Um, yeah, having having less email is always better. Um, so if we can yeah, capture yeah. it elsewhere. We should, and and I think if it's also a really important decision, um, maybe we want to write up, um, you know, a memo or something like that, which doc clearly documents that decision and clearly documents how we came to that decision, rather than having a big long email chain, you know. And you could you could keep the email as a backup, but the primary decision is documented in a memo, and I think that that's that that's a better practice. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Paula. I think that uh, we can uh, apply the same approach that we discussed uh, previous time for not to file. Yeah. They are tools that and we are not saying that you can't use them because they are there, so you can use it, but don't uh, abuse of them. Uh, so use them in the right perspective uh, with the right weight. Uh, and whenever it is possible, uh, think always that there are other tool, more official, more formal, as you said, that can be used. Because 
you know, to be fast, it can be easy to write an email, but if you want to tell a better story and maybe be more detailed and express, you know, all the root cause analysis and mm -hmm. the action that were taken and all the step of the process, write an official memo, document, and it will be even easier, in my opinion, to fill it in the right place in the yeah. TNF. Yeah, exactly. So whenever it's possible, try to avoid it. Then obviously they are there, so we can use them. But if possible, try to avoid them yeah. uh, and abuse them. There's also there's some interesting um, comments in the chat as well from from some of the participants. So Meredith from um, Sanofi, I believe, um, uh, said another criteria for inclusion may be when the timing of the communication is important to demonstrate. For example, safety reporting. So the whole like 24 hour reporting requirement exactly. and it's kind of interesting to have the email in that case because you can use it to demonstrate the, the, the timeliness. All right. I think I'll I'll reference your point earlier, Paul. We we want less emails. My twelve thousand unopened emails in my inbox. Uh, I think uh, I'm down. I'm absolutely supporting less emails. Um, but certainly to Donatella's point, I think you know, like note to files, like these other tools that we have, they are tools that we can use to help us pull together the story if we if we've defined the right process and and the individuals that are involved in the process are trained adequately, um, they can be very useful to be able to stitch those yeah. different pieces together. And, and so, right, one last point, which I think is also really uh, useful. Dawn um, Nickham from uh, Inception also said, of course, there are meeting minutes as well that we can also produce. So rather than sending an email, put together meeting minutes that can be very useful. Absolutely. Thanks for that, Dawn. All right. I love the audience participation today. This is great. <laughs> um, Perfect. Keep them coming in, guys. If you guys have live questions, please uh, keep them flying in. We'll try and answer them as we can. Paul, you can be the, the question master today. Um, all right. So let's move on to, you know, now that we've looked at what's relevant and not relevant, we've start, We've got to start to stitch together what's our process for email communication. So, you know, when, when we think about what we're doing for our, our customers, when we help organizations put in place processes for TMF management, we think about communications in these four pillars, when, who, where, and what. So Donatella, I'd love to throw this to you to kind of walk through our approach for defining the kind of pillars of your communication filing process. So I think that, you know, these are the, to answer to this question, W question, we really help us to better understand the process that we have to put in place. And uh, what, what is uh, the fact that uh, there is no, let's say, uh, an official requirement from, uh, you know, regulatory authority. The requirement is that uh, uh, the trial master file must be inspection ready. Uh, but let's think about uh, when. So when I have to email to file the email into the ETMF. So you've got three options, basically. File as you go, periodically, on a regular basis, or a study closure. All of these three, let's say, uh, options have... Uh, risk and benefit by my experience. Uh, my personal uh, perspective and suggestion is uh, file as you go. Just because in my opinion, this is uh, the principle you know, of timeliness of TMF. So if the email is a piece of the story and is a document, relevant document for the story, as all the other document, I have to fill the, the email whenever you know, it's available, whenever it is finalized, let's say. So file as you go, because otherwise, uh, it can be really challenging uh, 
to understand what happened, to retrieve maybe a loop of emails or a final decision. So file as you go. This is, in my opinion, the best approach that with the best outcome. Periodically, uh, when I was working as sponsor side, uh, this uh, was an approach that uh, I had experienced. This risk and benefit again. Uh, I'm not. I don't want to criticize it at all. But uh, uh, you know, as you said, Oliver, when you turn on the laptop and you see something like 300 emails, <laughs> try to you know understand what is relevant. Try to fill them in the right artifact section of the TMF. Uh, takes a lot of time. So. It can be done, uh, but obviously uh, there are some risks uh, and some, you know, potential issues that can can come. So my suggestion again uh, is preference email file as you go. As a disclosure, uh, we did even this kind of approach, uh, and uh, honestly, you know, it was uh, a mess, a an issue. I mean, it was. Uh, Okay, thousand and thousand an email, and now how can you uh, identify uh, the topic, uh, if it is relevant, if it is not, because uh, basically we just uh, pull everything in, uh, in Outlook and just create uh, a study specific email boxes. So everything was there. We can say that we didn't delete anything, but you know, to have an organized and structure uh, of the emails, uh, impossible so again you can do that but there are lots of risk and lots of issues that i see in this approach so you can even um, test this let's say free uh, option and find what is more feasible for you and for your team because remember also who is responsible uh, and this is the the second step for you know uh, feeling and choosing what is relevant in terms of email. Um, I give you this example uh, that we had with uh, a customer of ETMS services. The responsible per person for email was the CTA. Perfect. Let's say uh, we can say that the uh, a responsible person was identified. This person was in charge of filling the email, the relevant email in the TMF. Two issue. First of all, this person had other staff and responsibility to manage not only emails, so it, it can be really challenging to be always in time and, and uh, not in delay with filling the email. Secondly, she was not uh, always uh, in the loop of the email. So let's say it was uh, upon the responsibility and sensitivity of uh, you know, the other stakeholders uh, to forward her the email to be filled in the TMF. So, uh, it's not sufficient, you know, to identify someone responsible. I think it's better to identify in the stakeholder game of TMF management who is doing what, because there will be the sponsor, but then there will be the CRO who will uh, issue emails, uh, maybe without, you know, uh, forwarding them to the sponsor. So there are lots of stakeholders, and it will be very, very uh, important to define who is doing what uh, to ensure the consistency and to ensure that all the pieces uh, in case of relevant communication are there and are filled and available in TMF. Where, uh, as Paul said before, this is another very, let's say, um, tricky point where there is no uh, regulatory uh, requirement. It's up to us and up to our process. Because you know that in the TMF reference model, there is the specific section in each zone for relevant communication. 
So you can decide to you know, put them uh, in the relevant communication section, for example, of uh, uh, trial oversight, or you can decide to put the, the relevant communication in the artifact it is referred to. For example, um, as uh, the, the person said before, if you are submitting a document to a competent authority and you want to, to file that uh, email because it contains uh, a relevant information about the timing of submission, uh, maybe you can you know, fill uh, the email in the submission of to regulatory competent authority and not in the relevant correspondence. So you can have these two approaches up to you decide what is more feasible for you with less risk. The hybrid one, yes, you can have also an hybrid, but in my opinion, it will, uh, let's say, not ensure consistency because it's something that, you know, inspector want to see is something that uh, they look for, uh, you know, uh, understand the standard rule, the standard process that you put in place. So if you put one email in relevant communication and the other in the relevant artifact can create confusion, unless obviously there is a, a, a relevant rationale. In terms of what, this is, I think, the most challenging aspect when we try to file the emails. And I really like to, to hear Paul's opinion because it, this is really a very technical issue to be considered with lots of lots of implication and impact. So, Paul, what do you think about that? Oh, you're on mute, Paul. Yeah, this is live, so these things happen. I forgot to unmute myself. Sorry about that. Because you didn't want to answer. Because, because it's too difficult. And you didn't want to answer. I have a very, uh, I think it's a really interesting uh, area and an interesting question because I'm kind of a tech, tech guy, right? So, um, yeah, I was reading the guidance from the, um, the reference model. So the reference model actually put out a guidance in 2020 uh, on email correspondence, which is great. You know, it's actually quite big. It's quite a few pages and there's a lot of really good information in there. So if you haven't read it, go and read it. It's on the website. Um, but they talk about the, the format and, and um, the, the discussion is around, well, the original format. So there are various different formats. There's .msg, there's .eml, which are basically the native formats from the email programs that we're using. So things like Gmail or uh, Outlook or, you know, all of those different email uh, programs typically have their own uh, standard. Now, the advantage of having these native um, formats is they actually contain quite a lot of information around um, who sent the, the, the email, when it was sent, what was the time zone, what was the IP address they used. So there's a lot of traceability information, which potentially could be useful or demonstrating um, you know, the custody of that email and you know, being able to demonstrate exactly when it was sent and having some proof. But for me, um, there are definitely some challenges with having native format. And the first challenge is the fact that we have to retain it for 25 years. And are we gonna still be able to read that format? Because the way to read that format is using one of these programs like Outlook are we still going to be able to read it in 25 years? And that's kind of a bit of an overhead because you're going to have to continuously make sure that you can read it because it's a record and it has to be readily retrievable. The other format that a lot of people use is PDF or PDFA, which is kind of the, 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 the ISO format for, for PDF. And that's kind of a format that we typically use for long-term retention because it's an ISO standard. Um, 
The argument for not using PDF or PDFA is that we lose that kind of traceability information that's in the header of the email message. Um, but I was sort of thinking about this. And I was thinking, well, surely we could extract that information and just include it maybe as part of the PDFA that we generate. Uh, and, and, you know, that's it sort of brings us to how we generate these PDFs, because I think there are two ways of doing it. You can either go into your email and print an email and I say print a PDF. And when you do that, you are going to get some information like the subject and you'll probably get who sent, who sent it and who received it and when it was sent. But you're not going to get all of that other detailed information that's going to be lost when you generate that PDF. Or, um, and this is for the, any vendors on the line, and obviously it's something that we're also considering, maybe there's a way of actually extracting that information using a program uh, that generates the PDF and actually sort of appending it, um, maybe as an appendix to the, 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 the email that's been PDF'd so that we actually retain all of that information. The other thing that's important to, to note is that obviously these, these uh, records that are going to be stored in a 21 CFR Part 11 compliance system that's going to have an audit trail. So if we're worried about traceability, well, if it's in if it's in your system and there's an audit trail turned on, if anybody goes and tries to modify that, that email, because you know it's a text file, ultimately the, the, the MSG format, um, the audit trail is going to detect that. And the same for a PDF as well. So I'm not too worried about that. I'm more worried about the long-term retention uh, and the long-term retrievability of, of these formats. So there's an interesting point here in the chat, and there's a you know a couple comments around, and I'll read it directly. So because email systems, Outlook, Gmail, etc., are not Part 11 compliant, I'm you know assuming that they haven't been validated. Let's say to to, to store records, should emails be printed out and signed prior to filing in the TMF? Now I know that Paul's shaking his head because well, <laughs> we don't want to be printing things out anymore. But what is the recommendation here for? For, for those that are probably thinking, okay, well, should we just do it like we've always done it, where we print stuff out and sign it? And do we even need to sign it? Well, you know, that's I've, got an, I've got an opinion. I'm sure that Donatella does too. But um, number one, don't use any more paper. We need to save the trees. Sure. <laughs> um, number two, um, if you're, if you're, if you're, you can print an email electronically, as I just described. So you could print it into a PDF format. But it could be construed as a as a copy, right? Uh, uh, and therefore, uh, you know, we need to have a certified copy process. Um, and so, I think that if you know, and and Donatella is going to speak a little bit more about process and, and making sure that we have a, a, a clearly defined process for managing communications. Part of that would be producing PDFs from your email program. Uh, and making sure that the output uh, to PDF is an exact copy of what you had in the original email. And so it, it goes back to your certified uh, copy process that you have to have in place, by the way, both uh, based on EU regulations as well as FDA regulations. So both say you have to have a certified copy process. There is a difference, though, between the two. The EU does not say that you need to sign something to say that it's a certified copy. The FDA alludes to the fact that you should sign it. I don't necessarily agree with that. It's kind of a gray area. Um, but definitely, um, you should be referring back to your certified copy process and making sure that someone's actually looking at the PDF output to make sure it truly is an accurate copy of what you originally had in that email. 
Okay. It's so funny. I feel like emails has become, you know, it's one of those subjects. It's almost like an Oracle where you figure out a solution. Then you go, then you go, Oh, well now we've got to figure out certified copies and they go, okay, well, what about if we did this? Oh, well, what about validated systems? Oh, okay. Well, what about if we did, and it just goes on. It's such a challenging subject to, to, to I don't think to we're going to start validating Outlook. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, let's not do it. <laughs> no. And you Paul have opened another, in my opinion, very big topic and, big door of you know challenging tmf management which is certified copy because yeah. i faced that issue that topic uh, several times uh, with several of our customer uh, also in tmf services because uh, they were asking for this certified copy try to destroy the paper to avoid paper because obviously yeah. we would like to have uh, uh, no paper obviously electronic uh, etmf but for yeah. different reasons uh, is still not possible. So we are almost everyone living in an hybrid situation. And certified copy, uh, believe me, I tried to implement this approach uh, when I was working as a sponsor. And after one year of a project, uh, we say we give up. We said, no, it's too difficult. And at the end, we're going to produce more paper than we wanted to delete. Yeah. For you know, for the issue of a sign and uh, confirm that, that the document is original and equal to the uh, to the source document, so it's not really easy. You open another door. Yeah. So definitely, in my opinion, what what uh, I mean, what we suggest during uh, the training that we do and you know the process development with our customer is. Uh, um, we can give you the best practice, but then uh, uh, try to develop a risk-based approach for defining, you know, what is the best choice for you. So what are the risks if you follow this uh, option? What are the benefits? Uh, but if I follow, you know, the other option, what are the risks and the benefits? Because there will be, you know, uh, worst aspect and the bad aspect in every situation. So you have to balance at the end of the day what is best uh, with less risk, let's say, and less impact uh, on the story of the trial. Yeah. And let's remember the certified copies apply, you know, paper to electronic, but also electronic to electronic. Yeah, <laughs> that is the other point. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's definitely so. Maybe don't just don't delete the emails yet. Maybe you know, work it out. <laughs> I said this on the last session, but I'll say it again. This TMF stuff's not easy, eh? It's not easy. Um, there's another, there's a question here from Annette and it goes back to the sort of inbox and the, the sort of strategies. And, you know, we haven't talked too much about that here, but maybe I'll throw this as a, as a question to you, Donatella, when you, the question from Annette is, would you recommend setting up a specific inbox to CC when an email is identified as relevant communication by the sender? That way, all relevant communications go to a central location, which can be uploaded by a designated person. So in theory, this can be a very helpful approach. Uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense, but I have to admit that in my experience, because we used the, that approach, it didn't work because at the end, it was a really um, multiplication of emails and people you know, prefer not to think, uh, okay, I have to consider this uh, email as relevant so to include the uh, study specific email box or not. Because it was easier and faster, they just put the email box everywhere for every you know email. So at the <laughs> end, <laughs> it didn't. I mean, the, the theoretical you know uh, logic in behind this process makes sense, but yeah. in reality, it doesn't work with people. Yeah, no, I, I know that in our you know in our in our system, for example, obviously we have an ETMF system and we do have a study inbox, but we use it mainly for site documents. 
so sites that need to send documents into to a central location to be filed and for that I think it works well but for you know using it for correspondence and having the whole study team send their correspondence there you're right Donatella just you know people just automatically include it and then it becomes a complete mess and then the other big problem is that obviously a communication is between you know one and multiple people and so if everyone's each sends their own copy of that email correspondence all of a sudden you have like you know 15 duplicates yeah it's become a real problem I think email actually is a really good candidate for AI email correspondence I think that AI could be used to actually manage it a lot better because with AI we can do things like detecting duplicates uh, very easily because it's a, you know it's pattern based right so uh, and even even sort of analyzing um, you know the language so natural language processing within the email and then deciding okay well what does this relate to and then proposing that so that we can better relate email correspondence to study processes or other artifacts within the TMF could be super useful so I think uh, you know anybody who's in the AI business very good candidate here uh, there's a lot of problems to be solved all right I can Paul's already typing an email to our engineering team I can tell <laughs> I already told um, him that. I told him that <laughs> months ago already yeah. <laughs> um all right perfect um so I think just in summary, I think like to, to, to Donatello and Paul's point, I think when it comes to creating a central inbox um, for that communication, in theory, it, it, it can make sense. You can use a forwarding or maybe even a flagging or some sort of rule-based system where you forward certain information um, that you think is relevant to a, a, a folder. But all of this can come crashing down like a house of cards if you don't have the right process and you haven't trained people on the right process. Naturally, as human beings, we are full of faults and we will always or most of the time take the easy route and sometimes it's easier just to tag everything or forward everything and then you're still left with the the same mess to clean up at the end of it which is only then amplified by um you know the volume and 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 uh, the 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 amount of communication that you might have so let's move on keep throwing the questions in we do have quite a few questions around other communication so things that aren't email but that we're going to talk a little bit about that in a few slides let's talk about some of the key ingredients because i think we it's very easy to talk about okay well what's relevant and what's not relevant but there's some things that we should be thinking about because not all emails are created equal right so from from your perspective donatella when we think about sort of understanding and structuring the process for um, filing. It's not just about what's relevant and what's not relevant, right? There's also other things that we should consider. Absolutely, Oliver. It's uh, As we said, it's a very uh, complex process and you need to consider lots of aspects, lots of steps, uh, lots of details. And you know, to you have to identify and establish a rule, uh, feeling responsibility. Uh, as we already discussed, there are a lot of stakeholders in TMF management, so lots of uh, stakeholders are going to issue emails. So who is going to do the, what? The originator, the primary recipient, both the sponsor, the CRO. So who is uh, responsible for managing and coordinate this process? The email subject line. I mean, uh, even in that case, uh, people need to be educated on how to, to write uh, an email subject line, must be concise and focused. So don't repeat uh, information, don't make uh, unuseful information, just put what is relevant to make uh, it clear, you know, the content of the email. 
document date. We have a requirement that uh, you know emails have to be in a chronological order, so it must be very important to define uh, as a rule the document date, uh, the attachment. Uh, the attachment. How can you, you know, upload the attachment? How do you manage the attachment? Uh, it's obvious that if the attachment uh, is important, is relevant, uh, you should, uh, you know, PDF, for example, the attachment as well with the email. But if the attachment, you know, is, uh, for example, a meeting minute or uh, a template, a form already filled in another section of the TMF, Maybe you just fill the email without uh, uh, the attachment to avoid duplication. So there are a lot of, so to con of consideration to be done on attachment uh, because sometimes uh, uh, it makes sense to combine the email with its attachment, sometimes no. So definitely you need to identify the different, let's say, scenarios that you can face in order to define standard rules, because in that way you can ensure the consistency in the process. Otherwise, as already given an example, uh, the CTA will, uh, you know, upload all the attachment and another CTA will just uh, upload uh, filling the emails and not the attachment. And the same for embedded links. Whenever it's possible, please avoid embedded links because we faced the issue with uh, one of our customers last week and uh, it's really a mess. Try to, you know, um, permit the, the, the content of the embedded links to be traceable and legible, legible at any time. As Paul said, it's very important, you know, when you're mm, dealing with emails uh, to keep the data integrity. And obviously, if I include a link into an email, I, from an inspection point of view, I have to have the access to that link. But how can I ensure the access in 25 years? How can I ensure the access even one week after? Because, you know, web change, page of change. So it's really challenging when you uh, put a link into an email. So what you can do, you can, you know, just try to do a PDF of the web page that you want to link of the link, try to, you know, reconstruct the story of the email into the PDF. So always remember that everything that is in the email must be readable, accessible and legible, especially to an inspector. So attachment and links are always very tricky. Uh, and again, we come we come back to the we go back to the to the suggestion. Try to avoid email as much as possible, unless obviously it is necessary. Change to the subject matter of an email. This uh, will uh, open uh, really um, a big big discussion because uh, um, this is again a sort of a lack of education in people using the email as a, a tool uh, for working. Because you know you start maybe with a protocol deviation, and then uh, uh, you attach uh, another, another, let's say, communication from another topic or maybe from another uh, site. So uh, the loop, the chain of the email uh, will become in, in no end. And uh, it will be very challenging and difficult to understand, you know, where to feel, uh, what was the purpose, uh, what was the final decision that have an impact on the trial. So if you, if you have to start a new conversation, a new topic, just write a new email. Don't, you know, try this, uh, uh, try to start this very infinitive chain of email that at the end will be very challenging uh, to treat from TMF perspective. Don't forget the periodic review. I mean, if we said that uh, emails are equal to essential document in TMF, essential document must be reviewed on a regular basis. 
email, same approach. Uh, it's not just a matter of filling them, it's just a matter of you know, doing periodic review. So treat them as an official document of your TMF. And blending information, obviously, this is very you know, uh, critical as aspect in TMF for documentation and especially for emails. So always uh, uh, think about having a process in place on how to manage unblinding documentation and unblinding information, especially in emails. And last but not least, the translation. This is a very, uh, not funny because it's not funny, it is tricky to manage, but just to give you my experience. Uh, when we used to work with uh, uh, Italian Ciro, uh, when I was working at the sponsor side, we used to write uh, emails in Italian. And I think it's, it's obvious, I mean, uh, finally you speak with someone that speaks your language, you don't have to translate everything. So basically you write everything in Italian. Then the study was, uh, was moved to another study team uh, and the study team was based in France, in France. And uh, obviously nobody was speaking Italian. So they were not able to understand all the relevant communication field in the TMF. They were not able to perform QC. They were not able to understand the story. So we had to pay for official translation for all the Italian document because there was a change in the study team. As Paul said, even for inspection, you know, if they come and they need to uh, check a document that is not the, in their native language can be you know, tricky, but also for an internal study team, I think it's important to have a, a division that uh, everyone should be able to understand the content of the email. And this is why, for example, we put this uh, requirement in an SOP that emails when relevant uh, had to be Write, written in English, because in that way it was possible, you know, to be to be read by everyone uh, involving in the study. Even there was a change in the study team members. Uh, so let's say it was a lesson learned from uh, an issue that we face, mm -hmm. uh, and it was helpful also to understand what is relevant. Because whenever it comes, you know, to write an email, it was like, uh, okay, I I write this email in Italian or I have to write this email in English because it's relevant. So it was an effort, let's say, from the single study team member, but it helped to reduce the, let's say, the feeling of email in the TMF. I don't know, Paul, if you agree on, on translation, but it's something that, you know, sometimes people don't yeah, think absolutely. about that, but managing global trial, I think. Uh, no, I think I de definitely, um, you know, being very clear about the use of language. Uh, is important. There's another point raised in the chat, which I think is also an important consideration, and that's when you have emails that um, uh, discuss details of different studies, um, because it could open a door to auditor or inspection questions. So something to think about as well. You know, be careful not to mix mix in multiple studies with your emails, because uh, obviously the inspector is going to see it. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, so let's move on because we're just looking at the time here. So now what we want to talk about is, okay, we've, we've, we've gone through what's relevant and what's not relevant. We've talked a little bit about how to define the process. Now we need to think, okay, well, where do we put that process down in writing? And the short answer is there's a couple different options. 
right? So when it comes to documenting the communication filing process, that could be done perhaps in an SOP, could be perhaps done in your TMF plan, or even a business rules document. Donatella, when you think about, you know, where to document the communication filing process, what's your sort of first thought when you think, okay, this is probably the best place for me to communicate this, or is a, a bit of it in everything kind of the approach that you take? So my experience uh, tell me that, you know, to write this kind of details in an SOP means that uh, you will write or a dedicated SOP or working instruction on emails uh, uh, management. Uh, or if you want to avoid the proliferation you know, of SOP for TMF management, because uh, if you think about all the steps, all the aspects, uh, it becomes or uh, 100 pages SOP uh, you know, <laughs> about uh, all the things that you have to consider, or one master SOP plus uh, multiple and different working instruction. Uh, but, but my experience then is uh, challenging to manage the exception, it's challenging for people to, to not to be trained, but to remember what, what is the content of the, all the working instruction SOP. So the best play uh, by my suggestion would be the TMF plan. Even because in that way, you can agree each time, you know, uh, based on the study design, so based also on the on the other vendors and on the other stakeholders, how to manage the profiles in the process in the proper way. Uh, so definitely that is, uh, in my opinion, in my, my experience, the best place to put uh, uh, the details and the references on, to ensure the consistency of the process. And for example, we did last month a TMF plan uh, training uh, with, um, with a customer and we developed uh, the TMF plan template template with them, our, our template. Uh, and we, we point attention that, uh, you know, email management is a paragraph of our template because uh, it's really something critical that the majority of the time is not covered in any other uh, procedural document. So we suggested to define uh, the rule in that document to agree uh, with all the other CRO, because it was a study with multiple CROs, so with the other CRO, how to manage the emails. Paul, do you agree with this yeah, approach? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think, I think also you may end up referencing other SOPs as well. So we were talking earlier about certified copies. Well, you, you may have an SOP on that, and so you're going to probably reference that from, from uh, your TMF plan. Um, so there's definitely a connection between, between the three. I think obviously training becomes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, I think training obviously becomes an important part of this process. Right. And so, you know, if you've got your sort of general good documentation practices defined and your process defined around documentation and TMF, when you're looking at your TMF plan, you're really calling out those different areas, referencing those different SOPs to pull together the story um, so that you're able to adequately train, train folks. But ultimately what we're saying here is that this is really up to you guys. You can decide whether it's an SOP or within your TMF plan, the folks that yeah, I'm sure many of on the line today were at, at the at the conference last week, the TMF summit. I think most of the people that I heard were talking about finding communication in their process in the TMF plan, but it is really totally up to you guys. All right. So last few things here, we've talked about what we should be doing. We started with the regulators and what they are asking us to do, but when they come knocking on the door, what do they want to see? So Paul, from, from your perspective, I want you to put on your auditor and inspector hat, which I know you love to do. What are you looking to see or what are you expecting to see when you're looking at a TMF um, when it comes to communications? 
well, first of all, I, I want to be able to find information easily. Like that for me is like number one, because if I'm an inspector, I probably spend quite a lot of time trying to reconstruct, you know, what's happened, what's happened in this study. That's that's part of my job, right? Is to to understand the story. And if it's really difficult to find information, and if there's a lot of email correspondence that is just dumped into this relevant correspondence bucket with without much descriptive, you know, descriptive titles or anything like that. It becomes very difficult to find that information. So, make yeah, making sure that it's easy for the inspector to find information super important because otherwise you're just going to frustrate them. Um, and then afterwards, I think um, you know having clear communication within that email, so not having a big, 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 long uh, discussion that's gone over you know multiple weeks, and I'm having to kind of sift through to try and understand well how did they get to that decision. If, if you're in that situation where there's a very long dialogue, maybe it needs to be summarized in a different document. Uh, and that's where we have other tools like memos, like minutes, like notes of files, other tools which will allow us to give a summary rather than having this very long-winded email. And then also, it, it shouldn't be confusing. And, and Donatella brought up a really good point earlier. You know, we, we're so used to just do reply to all, reply to all. You know, we, we end up with these big long chains and quite often there could be multiple different discussions about multiple different subjects in this one email. Uh, as an inspector, I don't really want to see that because it's, it's going to waste my time trying to figure it all out. It needs to be to the point. So that's, I think, the key things uh, for me. Uh, and then also just making sure that, you know, as we said earlier, that there's data integrity, that I can trust what I'm reading, uh, that I have the full picture. Uh, and, and so that's where, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges we have with email is working out, well, when do we file it? When is it, when is that, when is that email finished? You know, when is it complete? Because it, it can just go backwards and forwards the whole time, right? So if I'm an inspector, one question I might be asking myself is, is, the, is this the full version? Or is there another version that has other other things there? So really uh, not an ideal format uh, to communicate with uh, with an inspector. So let's let's talk about other formats as we finish off today's session. We haven't got too long left, but we've had lots of comments in the chat today. And obviously, you know, let's address the elephant in the room that emails is uh, is not today the only way that we communicate either personally or professionally and obviously a lot of these tools that we've used in our personal lives have creeped into our professional lives i think everybody at this point is either using teams or slack or skype in the past and even things maybe like other social media type uh, messaging apps like whatsapp and things like that um when when we think about these other types of communications this poses a different problem right paul like this this can potentially be even more problematic than emails yeah yeah because i mean how do we how do we um how do we extract this information if, if there's relevant decisions being made over teams for example how do we extract that information and bring it into the trial master file um and you know if you think about the way teams is you know, quite often you have to scroll up and down, right, to, to be able to see the the, the chat. You know, it's, the, it's a very sort of interactive, dynamic thing. Um, and, you know, how do we capture that? Do we have to take screenshots? Not ideal. You know, we, we're probably missing half of the conversation with a screenshot. Um, can we get a transcript? Maybe. 
does that transcript contain all the information that we require? Um, how do we sort of manage the whole certified copy thing again? Uh, <laughs> how do we how do we retain this information? You know, how you know if we need to retain it in Teams, how long is it in there for? I don't know how long Teams retain. You know, is it forever? So there's just so many questions around this, and I think it's kind of Pandora's box. Oh yeah, uh, and it's something that we as an industry maybe need to start thinking carefully about. What do we do with these things? I think they're super useful. It's great to have this because it's so much, you know, so much easier to make decisions, right, and to collaborate together, especially in the virtual world that we live in. But we do need to be mindful that if we're making decisions that have an impact on the study or the study outcome, that we need to include them in TMF. We need to have a plan for getting that information out, and maybe it's again through the use of other tools like memos um, for important decisions. But also maybe as as um, you know as a software vendor, I've also been thinking about this. Maybe we can have these kinds of tools directly integrated within our TNF platforms or within our clinical platforms, so that we're actually collaborating in the same way as we do with Teams and 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 Slack, but they're integrated directly, either through some kind of API or even the TMF platforms themselves can have chat capability because it's kind of useful. And there you can chat around a query or you can chat around uh, an artifact or a site and, and retain this information and you've got full traceability. Right. So I think there's, there's a ton of, uh, of, of things that we need to think about here uh, to make sure that we're not, we're not losing information uh, and therefore losing traceability and, and losing records that need to be part of the TMF. Right. And I think the easy option is just don't use them and <laughs> let's stick with email. Yeah, but that would be a shame, uh, right? Because it would be. They're useful. Uh, Jamie, exactly. Jamie Marie and Johnson mentioned that they, they do minutes, uh, meeting minutes after every team meeting that has relevant information. So that's the way they go. I, think I that love can them. <laughs> if they do that, <laughs> I love them. <laughs> Definitely. Don't know if everybody does that. It's difficult to impose. But, I think um, it's it's yeah. it's challenging from a because then you get into the issue of okay, well, now we're exporting transcripts and and screenshots. Are, there, yeah. are we then going to have people say, well, do we print these and sign these, and then we're in the same we're in same, the same same kind of boat? But I I think that you know we we have we have the state of TMF podcast series, which is going to go on forever, right? So this I think is actually a, a whole po podcast episode in its own right, where we could have some really interesting discussions on on the use of social media and, and, and you know, collaborative tools like this within clinical trials. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, look, we'll close it for today because I think we're a little bit over time, but there's obviously a lot more to discuss here, which means you're in the right place. As Paul mentioned, this is certainly a subject we can consider for the future. Um, as a reminder to everybody, Go hang out in the community after this. There's over, well, I think at this point, it's over 1,200 members. Um, we share the slide decks from these episodes. So if you want to get access to the content, you can do so. There's obviously exclusive content from Monstrum that you can only get access to within the LinkedIn group. Um, knowledge and networking, of course, and then any Q&A that you might want to do as well. There's lots of super experienced people, especially um, those that are on the Monstrum team. So if you ever want to ask questions, you can go through and do that. I want to thank everybody, of course, course for joining but of course my my fellow hosts paul and donatella it's been a blast as usual thank you so much thank you for listening to another episode of the state of tmf 
a live event and podcast brought to you by Montreal, the leaders in clinical, regulatory, and quality systems for scaling life science organizations. If you like today's episode, please follow, subscribe on all of the platforms you may be listening. And if you want to view the full episode with video, head over to YouTube. Thank you for listening to another episode and we'll see you soon.